Welcome to episode 29 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We do six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Angel Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. T-Mobile announced this week that they'll be rolling out their 5G fixed wireless access service in 2021. Um, no surprise here. Um, I, I think their competitors are, you know, planning to do the same. But, you know, it kind of got me thinking. Fixed wireless access could be part of the solution to cover rural America. You know, one of the issues is with, with that part of the country is that, uh, you know, there's lack of fiber. And, um, you know, for point to point, you know, FWA could, could be that backbone um, to, to drive connectivity in these underserved areas. I mean, any thoughts there? No, I mean, in my mind, fixed wireless access is the only way to solve the problem. Yeah. Because you see fixed wireless access being used as a solution to drive down costs in suburban areas, right? Because that's already a problem mm -hmm. having to dig through all those neighborhoods and having to dig, you know, in rural areas is vastly more expensive because the distances are far greater, even when cost of labor is lower. So, I mean, fix, I think fixed wireless is the only solution, honestly. Um, but I think the problem is getting the, you know, the frequencies and, and, and the power levels to the point where it can reach, you know, miles uh, in terms of range per site to mm -hmm. cover enough people to justify the investment. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think on uh, one of our prior podcasts, we talked about the United States Postal Service potentially serving as like hubs, right? And I think that was really sort of uh, geared around, you know, ha you know, having people, you know, be able to drive to the post office, you know, maybe be able to hotspot in parking lots and and that sort of thing. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, maybe maybe those post offices could serve as, you know, sort of mini base stations. I mean, an idea would be to have, you know, run fiber to the post office and have millimeter wave just beaming from the post office. And when people are close to the post office or stop there to get something, you know, they can download the latest episodes of their TV shows yeah. or they can, you know, update their, 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 their apps and stuff like that really quickly. Um, but I think realistically having a constant connection is going to be the most important thing for most people. And I think, you know, most people are in a situation where they are still getting dial up or DSL like speeds. Mm -hmm that's all that's available to them. So even LTE like performance would still be considered acceptable for these people. Yeah, you know, I, it's not part of my topic this week, but AT&T did announce a, uh, an initiative to connect the un unconnected from a student population perspective. One of the stats that they shared in a press release today was, you know, of, of like 50 million students that are trying to do remote learning, 17 million are, are unconnected. So, um, you know, when you talk about DSL, you know, and these slower, you know, sort of modalities, um, I don't really believe, I mean, obviously 4G can support, you know, video collaboration um, because most of us are still using 4G today. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it could be a real boon to, uh, to distance learning. And then also think about telemedicine, right? So in these rural areas, um, they don't have specialists, right? And, you know, telemedicine and, I, you know, Everyone's been talking about telesurgery and the fact that, you know, 5G's, you know, ultra low latency could uh, could enable that use case. But I mean, I think starting just with the basics, you know, telemedicine and, and education could greatly benefit. So it'd be interesting you know, to keep our eyes on that. 
So uh, let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about a, um, a joint venture between SK Telecom and Deutsche Telecom. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about both carriers when it comes to 5G innovations, mm -hmm. innovating on business cases and use cases. So it doesn't really seem like that much of a stretch that the two most two of the most innovative carriers in the world are now working together to create a joint venture that will be based in Germany uh, that will basically contribute um, innovations from both companies as well as start to create joint creations or joint innovations to solve multiple 5G related problems. Um, right now, you know, they're, they're mostly focused on stuff like 5G and LTE dual uh, mode repeaters. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is, is this is something that I think both companies really want. And uh, the Korean side of the operation has already invested 30 million into the joint venture, mm -hmm. uh, which is being managed by Deutsche Telekom Capital Partners. Um, so there's a lot of cross-pollination, a lot of uh, involvement from both companies. And I think ultimately it's going to be a beneficial thing for both companies because um, I think that there's a lot of synergies that could be been gained from learning from one another and sharing those innovations. And because Deutsche Telekom and, and SK Telekom don't really have, um, you know, any kind of competitive uh, butting of heads, then mm -hmm. there's a really good opportunity for them to work together. And I think this might, you know, spur other operators to um, potentially do the same thing. Uh, but both companies are, you know, aggressively trying to roll out their 5G networks. And I think, you know, whatever they learn from each other may ultimately benefit one another. Yeah, you know, I'm not aware of either operator um, hosting, you know, proof of concept labs and that sort of thing, although I'm sure they do exist. You know, SK Telecom has definitely been a leader in leading with use case in the South Korean market. Um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned hardware innovation. Um, I mean, are... I didn't catch the details on, on this particular announcement, but are they also focused on, on driving innovative 5G use cases? So I think it's possible. I mean, they're talking about stuff like augmented reality and virtual reality services <clears throat> mm -hmm. and mobile edge computing. Um, so there are, there are some use cases they're clearly exploring, but I feel like this is one of those situations where this is a partnership for them and they're treating it like as a you know an internal company so they're not really trying to use it as a marketing um, position or you know really educate the market this is really just a beneficial business engagement for the two of them interesting yeah and like you said they're not competitive so it'll be interesting to see what sort of results from this so we'll keep our eyes on it and if we have updates we'll report those on a future podcast let me move to my second topic this week and you know, Dish has been in stealth mode. You know, uh, I've I've been trying to contact them. You know, to you know to get a briefing schedule and figure out what's going on. But they did announce this week that uh, their 5G deployment won't happen until the second half of 2021. You know, and uh, Sean Kenny with RCR Wireless wrote a pretty good article, um, and it got me thinking. It's like you know, this is super puzzling to me because if you look at you know greenfield you know deployments with Rakuten, you know, highly virtualized. Um, you know, software defined allows operators to, um, you know, to deploy networks quite quickly. That's one of the reasons why um, OpenRAN has gotten so much attention as of late. And I just found it really puzzling because, you know, from my perspective, it's like, you know, if, if DISH is going to deploy, you know, a lot of software defined um, 
tools and deploying their network, certainly they could deploy their network sooner than the second half of 2021. So I don't know. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Um, I saw some thoughts. I, I have some thoughts, but it's also, you know, interesting because, you know, my understanding is DISH is supposed to be partnering with Qualcomm. Right. But I'm not sure how they're going to do that because the Qualcomm 5G RAN is not going to be available until then. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure how they're going to be able to get scale if they if the if they're only going to start Qualcomm's only going to start sampling then yeah. for their 5G RAN platform. So um, it's kind of peculiar. I'm not really sure how they're going to get the kind of critical mass they need um, because you have to also consider that they have to fulfill certain requirements for network build out and coverage of customers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure they're going to be able to meet their the deadlines. 20, yeah. 20% yeah. and 70% and 50% deadlines. So right. I don't really know where to go with dish but it's starting to sound like Dish's promises are already starting to kind of fall apart, which has happened before. And a lot of people are not surprised, but it's a very weird situation because Dish has not really committed to much other than saying second half of 21. Right. And no one really understands why it needs to be a year from now. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's completely puzzling to me. I mean, I, I thought they would be much more aggressive. I mean, Obviously, one of the concessions uh, in um, the approval of the Sprint T-Mobile you know, merger uh, was allowing them access to retail, uh, T-Mobile retail, um, allowing them access to right part of T-Mobile's LTE network um, you know, to get things rolled out. Maybe they're just content with getting, getting their LTE service out the door. And, they you know, also had some very questionable statements about going from spending $10 billion in three years spending 10 billion dollars in seven years interesting vastly different capital expenditure framework than what anyone was expecting and if you look at what other operators are spending to build their networks out it's vastly less money per year oh yeah it is so it doesn't really track for what anybody knows even rakuten you know they're spending a ton of money and it just the numbers don't make sense and i'm trying to understand what they're doing I, I was optimistic, but I'm starting to become pessimistic as to what Dish is actually going to do. Yeah, no, um, I am as well. And, you know, you and I have been following this quite closely. I mean, Dish was sitting on, on Spectrum for years, right? And the FCC was, was basically going to push them over the edge and say, hey, listen, you know, use it or lose it. And so this is just quite puzzling. So we'll definitely keep our eyes on this. And if we have updates, we'll share it on a future podcast. So let's move to your second topic. And... Um, Apple and Google announced um, they're going to join something called the Next G Alliance for 6G. So why don't you give us an update on that? Yeah, so uh, the interesting part is that Apple and Google are joining the Next G Alliance, which is basically part of a consortia of companies in the U.S. that are working together to help establish what they believe will be needed for next generation 6G standards. And this organization was created relatively recently. But what's interesting is that Apple and Google joining is 
kind of interesting in the sense that both companies have just released their first 5G phones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Apple just came out with the iPhone 12 and Google came out with the Pixel 5, as well as the 4A 5G. And those are their first 5G devices. And now they're actually looking at 6G and how they can be a part of this, you know, 6G alliance that will combine the, the needs and understandings of these companies because it already has companies like Cisco, HPE, Kingsguy, mm -hmm. LG, VMware, as well as you know AT&T, Bell Canada, Ericsson, Facebook, and it's it's a very big you know even Microsoft, Nokia, Qualcomm, Samsung, and T-Mobile are already on board as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. it's kind of a who's who of everybody. So it feels like maybe Apple and Google are kind of coming late to the show. But the reality is it's still relatively new and I think that they're realizing that they need to be a part of this. I've seen Apple join a lot of consortia before um, and having a consortium like this is really valuable, but I know that they like to leave consortiums when they no longer feel like that they can benefit from them. Right. They did, they did it with, um, what's it called? Uh, Kronos had a standard for graphics and they were part of it and then they decided to go do metal and left. So mm -hmm. they didn't want to be, because it's a cross-platform open standard, yeah. you know, low-level graphics API. And Apple just went bye-bye and created their own. Well, so, it's not their DNA, right? I mean, Apple is like invented here, you know. But then they did OpenCL and that was a big, that was a big, big push by Apple. So yeah, you never know what they're going to do, but it's interesting to see that they're already looking into 6G. Yeah, I mean, maybe getting ahead of themselves a little bit here, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, Samsung has been well ahead of, of, of both Google and, you know, and Apple with respect to 5G. I mean, that makes sense. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Let's, uh, let's keep our eyes on that. And my third and final topic this week is also about 6G, even though this is the G2 on 5G. <laughs> um, China launched a 6G test satellite, you know, and it got me thinking, it's like, is this going to kick off a new race to 6G? I don't know. And the details were pretty thin, you know, not surprising. Um, but, um, but, but I find it interesting. We're still, you know, we're, you know, I, I spoke with the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. And, um, you know, one of the things that I shared with them is that, you know, 5G is a journey. It's not a light switch. And I think there are a lot of people that, um, are a little frustrated. I think the hype cycle has been quite high. Um, you and I know the path here because it's a, it's a phased approach. You know, you you move from non-standalone to standalone, and then you know we'll start seeing these operators you know fine-tune with network slicing, DSS, that sort of thing. And you know it's going to take several years. I mean, and 5G is going to be around for a decade. I mean, we're you know we're just in the infancy stage of 6G, but you know. I thought it was interesting that you know you know China put a 6G test satellite you know in orbit. So I, I don't know if you caught that news, but any thoughts there? I did not catch that news, but it makes sense because it's terahertz, and yes. you kind of would need some kind of line of sight. So I would right. expect it to be something that would want to be a line of sight technology like satellite. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of power levels they'd be using. I assume pretty high. Yeah. So I would probably look at something, you know, testing in the desert or somewhere in the ocean. I'm not really sure, but it is compelling and the research needs to be done, whether it's foundational or not. Yeah. And realistically, there will be trial and error over this next decade to see what can and can't be part of the 6G standard. 
Yeah, no, I agree. It'll be interesting. We'll keep our eyes on it. So your final topic this week is around, you know, China continues to beat their chest on, you know, you know, 5G claims. And so they, they've got a new base station claim, right? Yeah, so this is, seems to be something that the Chinese government really prides themselves on. They seem to be constantly giving these monthly, quarterly updates on how many base stations they've deployed. I think the last time we spoke, they had half a million mm -hmm. and now they're at 700,000. So the, the Chinese government has its own Ministry of Information Technologies. And they said that they last month had over 690,000 5G base stations with 160 million devices connected to those 5G networks. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that there's, you know, they say now there's 180 million as an updated figure, but 180 million devices is, is a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it also shows that the Chinese government is ready and willing to spend a lot of money to build out 5G because I think Chinese society and culture believes that technology is the ultimate solver of most problems. Mm -hmm. And 5G is, is that enabling connected fabric for all of the future technologies that can solve society's problems. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're spending billions of, upon billions of dollars. And they, that one of the members of this um, CPPCC, CPPC, which is <laughs> part of the China Unicom Research Institute, said that yeah. it will cost them $280 billion and they'll need to have 10 million base 5G base stations to properly cover the country with 5G. Wow. So it's quite a gargantuan undertaking. Yeah. And realistically, I think if China wants to unify the big cities with the rural areas, it will require a significant amount of investment. But I also think that the Chinese government is willing to spend it. The real question comes into, you know, how long will it take and how consistently will it actually be applied? Because there is a huge reliance on local governors and governments to disperse those funds appropriately. And there's been a lot of, you know, big attempts to do stuff in China in the past, like with their semiconductor industry, where they've made attempts and a lot of investments have been made and then nothing came to fruition. Right. So, yeah, they just didn't have the acumen in semiconductor. And yeah. I, I, I tend to think too that, you know, is some of this geopolitically charged, right? You know, so, you know, China's well aware that, you know, <laughs> Given, given the situation with Huawei, that, um, that, that the U.S. views 5G as strategic from, you know, um, a GDP driver perspective, from, from a, a, a military perspective, and is a lot of this, you know, chest thumping, is it, is it to put a thorn in the side of the U.S.? Who knows, right? But, um, but, it's, but it's interesting. You know, I, I don't think claiming, you know, numbers of base stations makes you a leader. I think at the end of the day, I've always said it's you know it's about driving use case and transformation both for consumers and for 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 business and for enterprise but um, time will tell so well hey uh, Angela another great podcast why don't you take us home absolutely we we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting if anyone would like to reach out to us on a specific to topic or specific 5G insight for a future podcast please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Town Tech, and I am at Anshel Sog. 
We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.